talk right now. And then I'm going to try, okay. I'll, I'll let you know when we're live, when we go live on YouTube. Okay, we are live, gentlemen. <laughs> hey, what's up? Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome to another episode of Police Off the Cuff. After hours, and I'm very excited to, about our guest tonight. What a this is a perfect guest for us tonight. Uh, in case you don't know already, by now you should. My name is Mark DeMeo. I'm one of your hosts, my co-host, and my partner in all things in law enforcement, Bill Cannon. Hey, what's up? You know something? I always talk about this on our show, but the police department is one of those jobs where you might not see someone for 25 or 30 years, but when you do see him, it's just like you never, those 25 years never went by. Right, Mike? We were it's sergeants so together. Though. We were sergeants together in what, 1990, 1992? I don't even remember the year, right? 92. 92, 92. and the two four. I mean, like, yes. and then, then you started climbing the ladder and I just stayed level on the ladder. <laughs> I don't know. I think I pulled it up, Bill, once I pulled got in there. <laughs> I was like, like all of a sudden I heard Mike, Mike, uh, Mike Blake's a captain. I went, what? <laughs> Holy shit. Well, not only did he, he rise up to captain, but he also made chief. He's a retired NYPD chief. Uh, he's a native New Yorker from the South Bronx, one of 11 children. And he's currently is a partner in the Merrick Financial Group, a full service, full service investment and in financial. Uh, service there and uh, he's our guest tonight and it's a perfect guest uh, we're, I'm going to pick your brain about what's going on tonight but uh, thanks for joining us hey I'm happy to be here Mark and Bill you know I'm uh, happy to share whatever I can with your listeners and uh, I'm happy just to be here Mike you know what I wanted to ask you and uh, this is a real question like you made it to deputy chief most guys that make it to that rank they're not leaving till a tow truck hooks a hook up to their ass in one PP and forcibly pulls them out of that building. But yet you left voluntarily and young, you left young and look, you, it's probably a great move because you're healthy. You look great. You probably have a great life. And what, what made you leave? You know, let me just back up and just say this. I love the police department. The NYPD has been great to me and my family. It afforded me opportunities beyond my wildest dreams. I've been able to meet the greatest guys and girls on earth. Trust you me, bar none. However, once I got to one point of my career when I made deputy chief, I had to—I was the chief of counterterrorism. I say I had probably one of the best four jobs in the whole police department, from my estimation. Uh, I reached the pinnacle. I didn't feel as I had anything else to do in the NYPD. I felt I did everything I needed to do. I've helped a lot of people along the way to uh, enhance their career. And I felt it was time to go, exit stage left. You know something, Mike, it just shows you what a good guy you are. Cause I, I posted the flyer to this show on LinkedIn and not a single person had anything bad. Everyone was like, oh, Mike Blake. I love Mike Blake. What a great guy, oh, Mike Blake, Mike Blake. You know, we can't, especially being a boss, we can't all be internationally loved. I used to say, no. I'm an acquired taste. Not everyone loves me, you know? 
That is true. That is that is so true. Hey, Bill, you know what it is? As you're going along your career, and like I said, these are great guys who are really risking their lives, trying hard to be able to keep the city safe. You want to just treat them fair with dignity and respect. Hey, listen, some guys you're going to have to smack. They deserve to be smacked. But by and large, you don't smack them for no reason. You Absolutely. really, really show them with respect. And I know, Mike, you were always a, a fair, fair guy. And everyone... Everyone always liked you in the 2-4 when you were there and narcotics. I know you were a detective too, right? Were you, yeah, were you, were you an undercover? I was an undercover. I was an undercover in Manhattan North Narcotics and an undercover in Brooklyn North Narcotics. Wow. So you paid your dues, man. You were the crack wars. Right. You were no inside Maytagger. You were out there. Oh, I was out there the whole time. <laughs> I'm sorry to the use that word from the past, uh, that, that, that word Maytag. <laughs> only real cops know what that means, right? <laughs> yeah. The only time I was inside was once I made captain. And even then, I, I, I tried to get out as much as possible. I did not like sitting behind a desk. For sure. For sure. And you, well, you had the, or the 103. That was a rocking place, right? Let me tell you something. You know, I had the 103 for about five years. And... I'm going to tell you, it is a great place to work. The cops there are by far the best. You know, when I was in Brooklyn North, we had a, slow, a slogan. I can't say it for political correct reasons, <laughs> but there were great cops out there, great women out there who were cops too back in the 90s and late 80s. But when I got to the 103 precinct and those cops over there, they were by far the best group of guys that I've worked with. Uh, you know, you got to remember the 103, we had the Sean Bell incident. Right. You remember Sean Bell? Absolutely. Yep. We had the protesters and everything else. And uh, what those men and women endured and got the job done uh, was, was phenomenal. I'll never forget that place. And I'll never forget those cops. They're the best by far. Well, they had a good boss. And you know something? It all starts at the, uh, the head of the horse, which is the boss, you know, and... Uh, People will follow you through a brick wall if you do the right thing by them. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I agree with that. I mean, that's kind to you, but I will tell you something. The cops deserve the credit by far. The cops are frontline supervisors. I steered the ship, but these guys actually wrote the ways and did the things necessary to make things happen. So uh, I give them all the credit, to be perfectly honest. Now, Mike, what the hell? I mean, you, you one of 11 kids, I obviously... When we were drinking in a bar in a 2-4 back in the day, you never came up to me and said, hey, Bill, I was one of 11 kids. You know, I mean, that would, that never came up. But now that I know it, that's pretty damn interesting. Yeah, I mean, you know, I come from the South Bronx, obviously. My mother had uh, two sets of twins. One died. I was really from 13 kids. But wow. one set of twins died shortly after birth. They were older. I never met them. However, yeah, no, I had seven brothers and three sisters. And uh, we lived in a, you know, railroad flat apartment in the Bronx. It was, it was tough. It was tough and uh, limited upbringing for us. You know what I mean? My mother was a uh, single mom. My father was in my life, but they weren't together. And, uh, you know, it was some difficult times. But she, I'm going to tell you, everything I am is uh, because of her, because she was a remarkable person. She's a lady with 11 children. I found the time to uh, go back to college, get her degree. And uh, she actually, they named the scholarship after her, uh, the uh, 
College of Human Services in Manhattan. So, I mean, she was just tremendously. That's amazing, Mike. Did anyone else on your family come on the job? I had three brothers who came on the job. One, that one left the job to become a bus driver for religious reasons. Another brother got jammed up years ago. He had a problem doing four to fours. Got caught up in there <laughs> drinking too much. Those four to fours, you got to be careful up, with those four to fours. That's for yeah. sure. And he ended up, uh, you know, getting jammed up and ultimately losing the job. And another brother got three quarters off the job. Wow. But they were all police officers. None of, the, none of them rose to any rank on the job. So they must be all kinds of proud of you that you went as far as you did. I would think so, for them by and large. You they're know. You, but they're again, hit, it's not They're going to hit you, Mike. They're hitting you up for some coin. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> you want to see my list? <laughs> you want to see list? That's well, why my caller ID is so good. Oh, no, not that guy again. <laughs> You know, well, uh, they're great. Though. Is it is it too early yet? Uh, since we're talking about coin, you know, and uh, you went on. We oh, the guests that we. I'm proud to say that you know, Bill uh, does most of the booking. But uh, you know, we always get. It just goes to show you. Uh, you talked about the rank and file and how great you know the the cops you worked with. And there's so many diverse people that come through this job and wind up doing amazing things afterwards. You obviously went into. Um, investment banking and uh you know you like i mentioned earlier you're a you know you're a partner in this merrick financial and it just so happens that two days ago we had this incredible thing happen on wall street where um i guess reddit or a subgroup of reddit they uh got together band together called themselves robin hood from what i understand they went in and they bought up a bunch of uh, stocks like a amc and 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 um and uh, uh, game shop, GameStop and um, some crazy things happened, most of which I don't really understand. But now all of a sudden, the following day, they block it. They say, this Robin Hood can't uh, sell. You can only sell, you can't buy any more stocks. The whole thing seems, uh, it seems odd. I don't understand it, but I'm hoping that maybe you could explain it to our audience a little bit. Well, let me say this. One of the things from a compliance perspective that I don't really get into product conversations, but from a high altitude, I could tell you everything you said is accurate as it relates to what happened. But there's other things that go on in the market called shorts and hedge funds. And they had some short positions and these individuals decided that they wanted to kind of mess up those short positions, meaning that if they could drive the prices up, those people who have short positions will have to pay more for their stocks. So what ultimately happened is you get enough people buying the stock causing the price of the stock to rise, the shorts become that much bigger gap. And at the end of the day, these hedge funds and other people who have short positions end up losing a lot of money. As a result, you know, the, the regulators obviously are taking a look at it. I, I mean, it's as far as up as the White House taking a look at it to see what can or should be done about this type of behavior because it's disrupt uh, the normal flow of the market. Is it a good thing? I can't say yes or no. Is it a bad thing? I, I won't, I won't say that either, but I can't. Listen, you know, because they're calling themselves Robin Hood, right? But don't... Um... A lot, a lot of our um, 401ks, IRAs, union um, 
deferred compensation programs, all this stuff, don't they, um, uh, even if at first they just go with uh, one group, but that group goes out and basically spreads your money around hedge funds. So if the hedge funds get jerked, don't all the people that are saving up money for their retirement get jerked as well? See, this is something that people are not recognizing when it comes to stuff like that and the economic impact of such an act is, yeah, absolutely. You can see uh, pension funds as well as other type of funds being adversely affected by this type of behavior. Uh, there's no question about that. That is, that is a real issue that everyone has to face when it comes to this type of behavior within the market. Yeah, because, you know, they're calling themselves under the banner of whatever their tag name is, Robin Hood. And the assumption is that these people are, you know, uh, going together against the, the big hedge funds. But the truth is, you know, if you have $10,000 to invest on the stock overnight, you're not poor, okay? You're not uh, probably a blue collar type of person. A blue, type of pers a blue collar type of person is investing their money with their union. And their union is the one who's investing the money with these firms who in turn turn around and, and probably use different hedge funds um, to get your, you know, your return for your retirement. So this Robin Hood thing isn't really just jerking the, the yacht guy, the, the head of the hedge fund. It's jerking all these this union money. Absolutely. The everyday person, the hardworking person out there who have a pension fund, who has money in unions, yes, these people are being hurt by this. There's no question about it. Yeah, because, you know, when you wake up in the morning, like my son, you know, he's starting with uh, with putting money and he puts like, you know, he buys one stock for $15. He owes one share, you know, but he's learning. And the whole thing is I'm trying to explain to him is like, yeah, it's good. But with the same guy that you are and that has rich parents and all of a sudden they're throwing $10,000 on this stock, they're not hurting at all. The only people they're going to hurt eventually if this thing keeps up. That's why I, I think they have to put an end to it. You know, they can't have this stuff. That's This is social media at work right now because they're gathering in these, in these social media platforms and coming up with plans. Yeah, I mean, again, this is a way of manipulating an individual stock. Some people look at it as a pump and dump. A pump and dump basically is when you pump a lot of money into a stock, raise the price of the stock, and then sell it at a certain portion and take all your winnings and leave everybody else holding the bag. So yeah, this is very well a possibility of what can happen. And it's something that the regulators have to take a look at and make a determination, you know, what's the appropriate action in this particular case. But Mike, don't, don't uh, hedge funds do that as a matter of practice all the time? Say that do what? I said, don't hedge funds do that kind of thing all the time? Pump up a stock and then I dump it. For, I don't work for a hedge fund. So no, I'm not. So, I'm not saying you specifically. I'm, I could, I'm not gonna. Some unscrupulous. I, let's say some unscrupulous investment firms. Uh, they do that all the time. So, so let's be real, Bill, about about the world that we live in. There's unscrupulous people in all aspects of our society. Some Not on the police department. I never saw it on the police department. <laughs> <laughs> Some of them are working in the finance world. Some of them are working in other areas and stuff. So in fact, Mike, you should have that, Mike, you should have that white collar there, the little white piece in the middle. <laughs> no. <laughs> Father Listen, Blake. <laughs> the truth of the, you know, I have a I have an outlook. I try 
my opinion when it comes to any subject or topic is I try to let the facts determine my opinion instead of my opinion determine the facts. So I try to look at it objectively as I possibly can and try to come to a good conclusion. To answer your question, Bill, yeah, I'm sure there's people who have done that or different agencies or different firms that have done stuff like that. But uh, is it right? No, it's wrong. Definitely wrong. Because no, people get hurt. The everyday guy get hurt when it comes to this, which leads me back to what I really do. You know what I mean? My business, what I do more specifically is financial planning. And what does that really mean? What it really means is my niche is in the NYPD. I sit down with rookies. I sit down with guys with two years on a job, three years on a job, totally complimentary. I don't charge them anything. And I sit down and make sure they defer comp and set up property. I make sure that they're paying their debt down the proper way and I'm paying high interest rates. I work with them to make financial decisions that is right for their long term in order for them to be able to retire comfortable. This is my way and my organization's way of giving back to the men and women in the NYPD. And we do it totally complimentary. Well, Mike, you know something? That is a great thing to hear because I remember when we came on the job, we were advised by the old hair bags. Hey, kid, take a pension loan every six months. It's your money. <laughs> and we'd be like, that was exactly Absolutely. the wrong thing to do, right? It was the wrong thing to do. And at one point, remember, get out the pension and get into the life insurance policy. That was policy. wrong, too. Remember yeah. that? Yep. That was wrong, too. So, uh, you know, one of the things that these are, uh, listen, police officers today face many challenges with what's going on in the world. One of the things that we should try to do for them is at least from a financial perspective, at least give them the night, right advice for them to be able to make good, sound financial decisions. Educate them. That's what we do over here. Educate them. And the guys and girls deserve it. And they, and they love it, really, to tell you the truth. Well, I'm, I wish I would have met someone like you when I was a rookie cop, you know? Hey, can I ask you a question? Um, what, what happens to a stock like that? Like, for example, you know, a GameStop, uh, uh, the running joke on the internet right now is uh, people doing memes about, like, you know, a, a, a company that closed or it was you didn't even know exist anymore and then saying that we're going to pump this one up tomorrow and then, uh, but what happens to a, a stock like uh, GameStop where, you know, it was trading at a certain amount. That's what it's really worth. But now, all of a sudden, it's, you know, worth $350 a share. What does the company do with that? Did the company use that extra money now that it has? What, what actually happens there? Not 100% sure what the company does, but I can tell you who ends up holding the bag. The people who are buying those stocks at 350 300 320 because that stock price is going to drop. And when I'm not talking specifically about GameStop, but I'm saying when these type of things happen, once the money comes out and people realize that and they stop buying, the, the price of the stock levels back to its true value. And those individuals who bought at that high rate end up losing a lot of money. All right. And what happens now that they stopped everything? So you can't, you can't get rid of your share. You can only sell it at uh, but you, you can stop. You, well, not buying. The, the reason why I believe, you know, because I haven't talked to any regulators on this and I don't want to get too much in the weeds with this type of stuff. But the reason why they stop buying is because they want to stop artificially raising the stock price. Mm. That's what be my assessment as far as that is concerned. So now it starts to settle and people will sell and things will regulators will get involved and they'll make the determination yeah. what really yeah. needs to happen. 
the only problem is like yesterday somebody had a two days ago somebody had a, a stock for a game shop it was uh, 17 dollars. now it's 350 dollars. so they're already cashing in on the money they're calling their thing this that and the other and now all of a sudden i have this stock that's supposedly worth 350 dollars, but i can't sell it i can only hold it <laughs> or or uh i forget what the other option is i can't buy more i can't buy more can't buy more yeah it's 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 problematic. It's problematic. I, listen, let there are people a whole lot smarter than me that have to figure out what's the right course of action in order to fix this problem. We have to wait and see exactly what happens. To be perfectly honest, but is it a good thing for the common person? I don't think so. Me neither. You know, Mike. Uh, could we get back now to the police department? Cause I don't know anything about this stuff that we're talking about, <laughs> but I know I a little bit. You. I know a little bit about policing. What in the last you you've been out since 2013, right? In the last seven yes. years, especially under this mayor, a lot of bad things have happened. Uh, not just to the NYPD, but to policing nationally. It seemed to be that there was almost like, a war on the police, uh, the summer where they poured the water on the cops here, the whole defund the police movement, uh, just the lack of respect that police are getting uh, in the, over the whole country. What, what are your feelings about that? And what, what do you think is part of the cause of it? Well, there's a lot, I think, that goes into something like that. But I think, first of all, let's just put the foundation together. It's horrible. You know what I mean? It's horrible to see these type of things happen. These men and women are, uh, you know, putting their lives on the line every day to help protect society. They deserve to be treated with respect, you know? And listen, there's bad apples in every group, but uh, you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. And there's no way, there's, are there reforms that need to maybe happen in certain jurisdictions and things and stuff like that? I think the NYPD is head and shoulders above any jurisdiction that I see around the country from what I've seen. However, is there reforms that can happen? Of course, in order to be able to help make it more amenable to the public that they serve. But at the end of the day, the police don't deserve anything close to what's happening to them today. You know, it's just ridiculous. I think it's ridiculous. Yeah. Some of the reasons why some of these things occur, I don't know. I, I don't have the full answer on that. You know, uh, I just think it's, I think it's a shame that the elected officials do not do enough to help support good policing and ensure that those officers are being supported properly out there on the streets. You know, I always used to say that when you look at government, especially in New York City, the, the most efficient department is the police department. When you look at, no you know, schools, you look at sanitation, you look at any of these social services, you look at, they're a, they're a disaster. And the New York City Police Department actually runs runs much smoother than any of those organizations. Listen, one of your prior guests, Chief Anamone, played a big role in being able to, uh, with Commissioner Bratton, Maples, in order to really, really structure this police department the way for it to be as efficient as it is in today's world. Uh, they A lot of credit goes to them, but to, back to what you're saying, we... I say we, but the police of NYPD is extremely efficient in what they do and how they police them. You know, they're, they're smarter. And, and and the waste is not as big as it, it was once was. And uh, they do a great job compared to other agencies. I've worked in another agency and 
NYPD, besides the NYPD, when I left the job, I ended up ultimately working in Department of Corrections as a deputy commissioner. I did that for about two years, total time there, maybe a year and a half. And I got to peel the onion back and look and see how that operation was run, nowhere near to what the NYPD efficiency is. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's incredible, but yet that this agency is the target. I mean, what do you think would happen if we said, all right, city council, starting tomorrow, you're going to wear body-worn video. <laughs> you, th you think, the, how, how long do you think they'd survive with body-worn video on? <laughs> yeah, hey, no, I mean, that, 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 I'll be honest with you, you know, that job is hard enough that, that they don't need everybody and their mother going out there and, and, and vilifying them even when they make a mistake, an honest mistake. Uh, you know, in this world, they're policing, you know, there's a split second. Listen, look at Danny Vargas yesterday in the Bronx. He gets shot, I mean, two days ago. He gets shot. Thank God he looks like he's going to be all right, released from the hospital today. But these guys do this every day. It can happen at any moment. They got to make split second decisions. And sometimes they're going to not be 100% right. You got to understand it's a mistake of the head, mistake of the heart. Right. Does this guy intend to really hurt somebody or did he just make a mistake at the split section, the second decision? And you got to take that into account when you start to vilify and start to get on the bandwagon saying that these guys are all bad and everything else like that. Hey, Chief, uh, we got to take a second to give a shout out to the people that have tuned in tonight on our, uh, we got them on the live chat, Melody McAtee. Uh, hi from Indiana, she says. Peter Pranzo tuned in. He's going to be a guest on the upcoming show. We're looking forward to him. Uh, Michael Colon, MC Audios here in the house. Greg Eggs and Ham, he says, good evening. Um, Kathy Pulliman, hello from Tennessee. We're getting them from all over. You see that, Mike? See where you're attracted? They knew, uh, they knew Cool Hand Blake was here tonight, so they're coming in from Tennessee. <laughs> Shirley A. Connolly, hello, gentlemen, from Ontario, Canada. This is amazing. Uh, Arwen Hardy, good evening, gentlemen. And, uh, you know, uh, Jacqueline Gutierrez, she says, uh, um, there was some stuff that has been found in a river in Bakersfield that officers took pictures of. So that, I guess that's an update to- She's talking oh, about those two missing kids in uh, California City, that, California. Uh, Bill has been covering wow. yeah. uh, on his, um, Bill has a separate show that he does, uh, Real Crime. And uh, he does it. He's been a, a regular guest on Duty Run. Duty Run is a big support of the show. He has his own podcast. And the two of them right now are, are doing a lot of work and, um, you know, on this case and, and uh, doing a lot of updates. So uh, I think Duty Run's going to cover that tonight on his show at 10 o'clock. So uh, um, Michael Colon says we're pumping up a blockbuster next, baby. So uh, see, we were talking about earlier, blockbuster is going to come back. And uh, let me see who else. Uh, Thank Joe you, Duty Ron, for that $5 super chat. Very appreciated. <laughs> uh, hi, Bill. Pleasure chatting earlier. Uh, so did you guys do your thing yet? Did you do your thing with Mike Cologne? I didn't. I did. What do you mean? I did it a while ago. He wants oh, okay. Irma now. <laughs> all right. Oh, all right. Uh, Peter Pranzo, it runs in cycles. The police are down for a period of time, but they will rebound. Yeah, we know it, 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 it's kind of cyclical, unfortunately, um, when they, when they hate the cops, that, that time lasts a long time. When they like the cops, it usually lasts like two months. 
That's right. That's how 9-11 lasted till about uh, to go down in New York City for them to like uh, say, oh, thanks for your service. Yeah. 9-11, <laughs> uh, the good the good feelings lasted till about November 11th. Right. <laughs> Duty Ron gave five yeah. bucks. Thank you, Duty Ron, for continuing. Uh, uh, Michaelino Serino, uh, he's talking to Joey from Brooklyn. And uh, hi, Mark. I think you're hysterical, by the way. Thank you, Michaelina. I appreciate that. <laughs> All right, so back to the show. Uh, yeah, man, we're in a tough time right now. You know, we mentioned this uh, on another show that there's a lot of candidates that come on the job now that think they want to make it, you know, I'm going to make a difference. I'm not going to be like all the other cops. And um, that's their purpose for coming on the job. And then, unfortunately, they face a summer like we just had where you're out, you know, maybe if, if you're lucky, it's only three days of your, of your tour that week where you're covering one of these, uh, these things that start out as a protest and then as nightfall comes, turns into a riot. And the people that are throwing bottles and, 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 uh, and uh, you bricks, know, bricks. cursing at you and telling you that your family, yeah. hope your family dies, uh, they don't know who you are. They don't know that why you came on the job to make a difference. All they see is the uniform. How do you, how do you fix that? How, because at some point, it becomes us against them again because you're like looking at your brothers and sisters in blue. This is all I got right now. This this is a problem. You know what I mean? And I, I, part, part of what I said earlier, you got to remember, we have to try not to paint with a broad brush. Are there, are there segments of society in every neighborhood that are bad, that are doing really bad things and will hurt a cop? Yes, absolutely. But it's, I'll give you an example of what I'm saying. There's some fun people in very in a lot, all these neighborhoods that you could find that really support the police. Uh, they like the silent majority. You gotta be able to communicate properly with that segment in order for the cops to recognize that there are so many people who really support them. When I was in the 103 precinct, we have we had these demonstrations, everything that you talked about, bricks being thrown, bottles being thrown. I got cut by a bottle and stuff like that. They tried to storm the station house. My community council, along with about maybe 25 or 30 other individuals from the community, came to the precinct and said, we have a demonstration today starting at 6 o'clock. They were there at 4 o'clock. They wanted to surround the precinct to protect the precinct. You got great people out there, is my point. I, it cost me a lot of money because I had to buy them all lunch and keep them inside. <laughs> but my point I'm making is the fact that you can't paint with that broad brush. They look at, they, some segments of society are looking at the police and painting them with broad brush, those individuals who are not doing the right thing. There are some who may not have done the right thing during the course of their career, whatever the case may be. And they're painting these police officers with that broad brush that they all bad, they all crooked, they all wanna mess up people in every community or the minority communities. You can't paint with those brush. You got to have the dialogue. You have to be able to talk to each other, not at each other. And you got to be able to understand what each side is thinking. We got to break that wall when you start to think about us against them. And how about we meet at a common place where we could all decide on things that are easy to decide. Like we want the crime out of our neighborhood. Let's meet there, and then we could deal with some of the other issues. Hey, let me ask you a question. You're sitting at CompStat right now, and I'm the I'm the big chief, okay? And I'm saying to you, uh, Chief, what are you going to do about this situation? Because 
we have a lot of protesters, anarchists coming from out of state. They don't know who the cop of the month is. They don't care. All the people that yeah. are out there protesting legitimately, um, you know, they know who you are. They know you're a good guy. But these people that are coming and they're going to instigate and, and incite and uh, try to up, uh, you know, turn this protest into something violent by burning stuff. They don't know who these cops are. They don't care. They're from out of state. How do you how do you don't. how do you police that? Okay, so first of all, you're gonna wait till the problem occur before you address the problem. So you have to use your intelligence, you have to use your investigative personnel to be able to identify who these people are, where they're coming from, either through social media, through your intelligence division and other places. And you want to flag those individuals, tag them and see whether or not you can hopefully prevent them from even coming there. During the course of these Black Lives Matters, during the course of the uh, summer, there were places where they were dropping off bricks on corners so they could throw at the police officers. Yeah. Those trucks should have been intercepted. Yes. Those hotspots should have been identified and those bricks should have been removed during the course before the people got there to be able to throw those bricks. They were sitting there a long time. So that's a problem. So you got to use your investigative skills in order to be able to try to ward off and prevent some of those individuals from even getting to the demonstration. When those individuals get to the demonstration, you gotta try to identify them as best as you possibly can in order to move them away from the common good people who are just protesting and the people who are just, for whatever reason, feel that they need to be there. Again, if the rubber meets the road and the bricks start coming and you know, as, they, as we say in the world, you know, the S hit the fan, then it becomes problematic. It's hard to discern one from the other and you have to be able to maintain order. And that's what our job is to maintain order. You have to do that. And sometimes that is going to uh, result in some of the good people who are standing there maybe getting hurt, unfortunately, because they're next to somebody who's throwing bricks or whatever the case may be. But this, you have to maintain order. This is going to be a tough one. What about the kneelers? What about the guys in our job that are, are going out of their way and uh, to kneel, to try, I don't know what their purpose is. It's a tough question because uh, we're supposed to be neutral. Yeah, yeah. I think I think what they're trying to uh, establish is a rapport with those and the other individuals, the good people, in order to try to find some common ground. Uh, it's, I don't know, I'm not really sure whether or not it's something that 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 is looked upon as as favorable from a police perspective, but I will tell you this: if it's something that could bridge the gap between one group of people and another group of people, I'm more inclined to be able to do something in order to bridge that gap. See, it's not about necessarily giving up the ship, the the, the house or the or, or the farm, from my perspective when you put an olive branch out there, it's more about being able to protect the house and the farm and to protect the neighborhoods in order to be able to ensure that we can have the peace that we want in our neighborhoods and our streets and our cops not getting hurt and getting bricks thrown at them. Uh, it's tough though, it's, yeah. it's, you know, everyone has to do what they feel is right inside. I just gotta give a shout out to some more of Cat in the Hat. Thank you so much for that $10 super chat. Trish talks, hello, duty Ron, you're the best. Dawn Marie, hello. And Joey from Brooklyn. Yo, Joey. MC's audio. 
Peter Pranzo, of course, we yelled out to you before. Renate Spalvina. And a lot of you people coming from faraway lands, we're so happy to have you here. I know you, you just come here to listen to our New York accents because they're so sexy, these New York accents, right? I know you guys love that. You're always talking about that. Mike, I have a couple things. Two things happened today. One, the mayor came up with this thing where he wants the communities to pick the commanding officer of their precinct. I mean, I find that to be outrageous. Uh, I look, the community always had a say. They would, people that had, were plugged into the community council, they would let their local politicians know, hey, we like this guy, we don't like this guy. But you can't take that power away from the police commissioner and give it to the community. No organization can run that way. To me, that's outrageous. Part two, this happened. I don't know if you read this article in the Wall Street Journal today. They come, came up with this thing, training cops to actually intervene when they see something that they perceive as wrong on a scene, including a boss. I didn't like what Chief Blake was doing, so I jumped him from behind and stopped him from calling for a wedge during that riot. This shit is actually, people are actually putting this shit out there. And a guy from DCPI, I don't even want to, his name, he's selling it on LinkedIn like it's the greatest thing since sliced bread. I was like, dude, are you kidding me? I mean, and other things like, look, Mike, you were a boss for a long time. There are times on the street where the temperature gets high. Maybe a cop smacks somebody. You know what to do as a boss. No one's getting locked up there. The cop's not getting... Some of these people are crazy. They're like, that cop should be arrested. Oh, what's the charges? That's not even an assault. That's called a harassment, you know? But some of these people are nuts. And, and they actually want cops out on the street to rat out other cops when they see things that they perceive. Don't we have organizations like grand juries, CCRB? Don't we have IAB? Don't we have more watchdog agencies than we actually need? You need another level of... Look, if you saw something really heinous happen on the street, Mike, as a cop or a sergeant, lieutenant, you're going to stop it, aren't you? Of course. And I'm going to... I, I was going to do that too. But to have this teaching cops to rat on other cops because they, they, they perceive something on the street wasn't right, I think that's dangerous. I didn't see I didn't see the article, so I don't. I can't really speak too much to it. Uh, let me just talk from a different perspective. As you just alluded to, if you see somebody doing something grievously wrong or doing something wrong, then they need to be checked to make sure that they're not doing things that are wrong. That's one aspect. You know what I mean? A guy, you know, giving the extra noogies or whatever the case may be. The guy's right. cuffed. We don't want. Nobody wants to see stuff like no. that. You know what I mean? Obviously, nobody wants to see stuff like that. Uh, if you're talking about administratively, if somebody's doing something wrong, I think that's kind of ridiculous. Uh, they need to be uh, retrained and or disciplined and or, you know, just corrected, basically, if they're doing something like that. But uh, I'm, I'm not really sure what, what the whole context is of this particular direction. Further, we, we, what they should do is we want to change a picture in the middle of a game. They should go to everybody in the stadium and say, who should we put in now? <laughs> you know? Okay, so that's the difference. That's the difference. It's the same okay. thing. And like a lot of these people that come in to be commanders at precincts, they're not even from that precinct. They're just somebody, they take a the guy who just got promoted captain. 
He's going to come. What are you going to do? Take a cop that you like that he won cop of the month six times and make him the CEO now? Yeah. So I heard I heard about this. I didn't peel the onions back, but I think what I heard was the police commissioner is going to be the one who makes the ultimate decision and that the people of the community is going to be doing some sort of interview, maybe. I'm not really sure how that's going to work, to be perfectly honest. The best candidate for the job should be picked through the police commissioner. There's no question about it because he should know or she should know who his staff is. You got captain in Brooklyn that the people in the Bronx have no idea who he is. How are they going to pick him? How are they going to even know who that person is? That that's I'm not sure how that how, how they're going to actually do this. Uh, but there's no question. I think the police commissioner should be and probably will be making the final decision when it comes to picking police and commanders. I, it's I gonna, just can't see any other way. It's going to change everything because you got hook houses, you know, busier houses. You had people that were, um, you know, like I guess I guess what could happen is if you had a lieutenant working in a particular command, and you know that they're going to get promoted to captain, and you're like, oh, we wish you could come back here as the captain, you know. Um, that's what would happen. So, but it also that may not be the best thing either. No, but that, that particular lieutenant, you could be really nice to the community, and but like this isn't where I want my career to go. I have other plans. So thank you, but no yeah, thank no. you. I want to get out of here. You know, Mike, it's like when you were a commanding officer of a precinct, and then it came time for you to move on. I'm sure the community was like, "Oh no, you can't take Captain Blake, Deputy Inspector Blake. We love him, though." And you know. No, that's too bad. The police department needs them somewhere else. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's got to be a management decision, not the, the community. I got I to gotta just take a look at this. I, I can't believe that they would just give up all power of the police commission in this particular case. But let me give you an example of something. And, and this may be smoking mirrors and I would never say nothing bad, but I'm just going to lay it out there just like this. When I was making the decision as a precinct commander, sometimes I brought the delegate in and asked them, what would you do if you're in my chair? I may bring a lieutenant in, I may bring a sergeant in or a cop in and individually talk to them and ask them that same question. What would you do if you're in my chair? I take everything that they say, I made them part of the process, but then I made the decision. They feel good because of the fact that they had input in their decision-making process. But at the end of the day, guess who made the decision? You did. I did. Maybe Mike, this did is you, what they're doing. With to, the... Mike, did you go to that Harvard Business School management? So, so you is that where you learn this shit? <laughs> so 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 that I hate to tell you this. I hate to tell you this. I did go to Columbia University, oh, Columbia. PMI, Police Management Institute, and I did get a, the Harvard Scholarship as well as the uh, post-naval scholarship, but I ended up leaving the job before I could go to either one of them. Man, they were probably, they were probably pissed at you, man. You believe Blake's they leaving? Very happy. Look what we were trying to do for him, and he's leaving. <laughs> they were very unhappy. But think about what I'm saying to you as it relates to that. I don't think being a police commissioner, that he's going to absorb all responsibilities, duties, and decision as it relates to moving these precinct commanders. If you give the people in the community a chance to be able to have a voice, and I think this is what this is more about, having a voice, 
I don't see the worst thing in the world to get people's input, but still make your own decision. Right. Yeah, you might be stuck in a place, you know, because they really, really want you. That's what's going to happen. You know, it That's not, that wouldn't be good. It happens. That but, wouldn't be good for anybody. Yeah, but but there is a situation like, you know, we always joke about, you know, who's your rabbi? You know what I'm saying? If your rabbi uh, enjoys the fact that you're the CEO of this command, in reality, and you want to go somewhere else, and right now is not the good time. Don't worry. The rabbi is going to tell you, said, listen, just chill a little bit. We'll find you a nice spot. And that's what happens to you. We got you here. Now you're going to go when we're ready to let you go. It kind of sort of happens already anyway. Well, Mike, remember um, uh, Chief Morange? He was the chief of patrol. Yeah, I remember. He yes. spent he spent Great. five years in the 2-8 as a captain because the community yeah. like loved him and they were afraid they to move him. Absolutely loved him. Rightfully yeah. so. I know. Yeah. Oh yeah, great, great man. But I mean, how do you think he felt about that? I think it was like, what am I getting out yeah. of here? And that was when you know they didn't promote you to DI after a year or a year and a half. That was when guys paid their dues five, six years before they made DI. Hey, Ryan Investigative yeah. Group. Bill Ryan says Mike and I went to St. Joseph College in Brooklyn together and worked in BNTNT. <laughs> hey, Bill, good man. Very yeah. good man. I like Bill. Very good man. Mike, remember the the perps on the street used to go, TNT, you won't get me. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. That is true. <laughs> Listen, let me tell you something. This let, let me just say this. Guys and girls talk about, you know, the climate today and how tough it is to be a cop and everything else like that. I would tell you, and I, I mean this with all my heart, if I had to do it all over again and I was starting out right now, Joining the force, I would do it. I would raise my hand and join the force in a second. Where else are you going to meet the type of people we've met during the course of our career? I'm a kid from the South Bronx. Where am I going to meet a guy from Long Island? Where am I going to meet a guy from and, and, and become friendly? And, Mike, and I would have invited brother. you to my house for a barbecue. I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> That's but, the one but thing. think about that. A lot of people don't realize that it, well, I can only speak for the NYPD. That's all I know. But I could go back to my time in the squad. You had eight Spanish people there, three black guys and two white people. I mean, every it, it's more diversified than people really give it credit for. And, um, yeah. you know, <laughs> you, you have, uh, you have, you name it, you name it, it's in there, you know, uh, uh, lesbians, you know what I'm saying? It's every, it's a whole mix of it's different type of people. Somehow we all make it work. And I think we make it work pretty good. Um, you know, all things considering. Well, let me ask you this question as it relates to this. Let me turn the mic around. Did you learn a lot while you were there with the different cultures, cultures and everything else like that? Maybe you had this idea about this, but now being exposed to different individuals that you you, you actually grown during the course of your career and see things a little bit different and you've learned from some of these people the interactions you had on the job? A hundred percent. You know something, Mikey, that also comes out of uh, being a, having someone risk their life for you that may not be of your race and, and, and you do the same for them. And that, that, Absolutely. that bonds the brotherhood, you know, and that's where the expression comes raw <laughs> blue. And, you know, I, I always felt that, you know, when someone when you're in trouble, three black guys that uh, cops come running to your, you know, 
they're ready to risk their life, put their life on the line to save your life. That's an amazing thing. Yeah. You know, I'm not a pie in the sky type of guy, but think about that in real life as it relates to the general population and stuff like that. That's where we need to get to. You know, this us against them is just like really too much as far as I'm concerned. And this polarization when it comes to color is another problem that I see. I don't see things quite like that. I think there has to be a severe, severe penalty for somebody coming charged with a certain felony uh, regarding a protest or a riot from another state. That's the first thing. That's I like the that. way it's, I, I have no problem if, if this is a situation in your neighborhood that you want to address and you're from this neighborhood or from this city, fine. But when you get these out, outside agitators who are really the ones doing the most damage and they get in a plane and they leave the next day and they got their hotel room paid for, um, if you get caught, that it, whatever you get caught with, you know what I'm saying? If you're from out of state, it should be try, you know, no, we're not, you're going to do your time now. And that'll stop it people. It could be a federal crime. Yeah. It, it could be a federal crime because you cross state lines intended to commit crimes. I mean, you can make it almost a federal crime, basically. Absolutely. Well, that would have, you know, if we talk about that and then you think about the bigger picture and look at the Capitol. I mean, everybody was from another state. And then, you know, they stormed the Capitol. So all these people, if we did have a law like that, that charge would be uh, uh, up. To, they're all be uh, doing major, major time right now. Yeah. So if you're yeah. going to protest, you're going to protest peacefully. That, that's what it'll make you do. Listen, I'll be honest with you. There is absolutely... Uh... People have the right to protest. Obviously, this country's been built on this, to be perfectly honest. Uh, but nobody has the right to break the law. And I believe that the law should be exercised for anybody who breaks the law during the course of one of these peaceful protests. And the people should be prosecuted to the full extent of the law. And if we could add the laws on the book, as you're describing, Mark, to be able to make the penalty even worse, absolutely. I could go for that. You know, Mike, one of the things, though, that I that and when we spoke about that, there's a, an animus towards police nationally and especially in this city. There was a tape early on uh, a few months ago and it showed warrants picking a guy off the street uh, th- during a protest. And the guy was wanted for several warrants. It was a textbook arrest. And the mayor and a lot of these other snowflakes objected. They said they didn't like the way it looked. And it was like. That's too bad. That's how police do their job. There was no force used other than grabbing the guy and cuffing him and putting him in the car. But yet they objected to how it looked. I mean, what do you what do you say to that? I mean, it's like. If you give a guy a job. Then you expect them to do it. If I'm in warrants and you give me a warrant on an individual and I see him, I'm spoke. I'm supposed to apprehend this individual. If you don't want me to do that, for whatever reason, political or otherwise, they don't give me the warrant and don't hold me responsible for apprehending the person. That's the bottom line when it comes to that. You know, so so when you start to talk about supervision, you start to talk about whether or not, you know, what should happen or shouldn't happen, you got to look at supervisors and make a determination whether or not Maybe the supervisor shouldn't have put him in a position to be able to, to do something like that if the powers to be is going to uh, uh, frown on something like that. You don't right. put your cops in bad situations. Well, listen to this. 
if you're going to uh, allow the community to pick their own commanding officer of the precinct, well, at the same time, your community should be able to pick out who gets arrested and who doesn't. So when you grab somebody, you should be able to hold them for a certain amount of period until a certain amount of people can join and give either the A or the nay. <laughs> yeah. No, because this I'm, you think I'm kidding, but this is where we're at the point right now, whether somebody should even be arrested because the community, because they want to bring a community uh, associate to a scene and evaluate whether that person should be arrested. That's literally what we're talking about right now. And if that's okay, it's it. And, and then you have to also ask yourself one question. We're at the service of the community. And if the community doesn't want them arrested, should you be doing the arrest? I mean, if it's convoluted, but. It, well, that, that's the danger of too much community involvement. I don't know if you remember the big gang takedown on 125th in Amsterdam. I forget the name of those houses there, but the community that lived in that project was all behind it, 100%. Then when they took it down, they were like, oh, that's my cousin. Oh, that's my brother. Oh, that's my other cousin. Then all of a sudden, they were like, oh, shit, this is what you mean. And, and they, they locked up uh, a lot of people in that building, and some of them got 25 to life. And all of a sudden, the community was like, oh, we didn't know you were going to lock these people up. Who would you think we were going to lock up, <laughs> you know? Yeah, so so back to what Mark is saying, I think it's I think that would be ridiculous to even think about the community having to say who get locked up and who do not get locked up. Case in point, what you was asking me, Bill, as far as a warrant officer, no, that guy, you know, is doing his job and he's supposed to be rewarded for doing his job like any other cop is, no matter who it is, to be perfectly honest. Right. But that's the I don't, thing. The, the guy snuck in there. They grabbed that body off the street. And the community yeah. didn't have a chance to, to complain or to video or, or to, to stop. The, it happened so quick. The tactics on that were so perfect that they removed somebody who's wanted uh, for breaking the law. And the community wasn't allowed a, enough time to react. That's the whole situation there. That's what they're asking for. They're like, whoa, whoa, you can't take them unless... You know, we have a chance to get around the van and stop you. And uh, shout out to all the people in Tacoma, Washington. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. <laughs> that's that's what I'm talking about. It's like, that's exactly why they're pissed. They didn't have a chance to react. It was an arrest. So, Mark, let's back up just a little bit. And let's just, let's really kind of really talk about this really honestly. You know, there are people out in the community who are just going to be agitators, who don't like the police and everything else like that. We need to be able to kind of like segment those individuals in our verbiage talk and how we address and view these individuals in our community. There's no question about that. But what I'm cautious about is trying to paint the community with that broad brush. And I like to stay away from that type of rhetoric because that's where we run into problems because it's the same problem we run into when we paint the police with that type of broad brush and start to look at the police in a different way. So I like to be able to keep it really kind of more factual when we start to talk about these things and not to sensationalize it, only to the extent that, hey, listen, when the community or segments of the community do something wrong, whether it's a crime, whether no matter what it is, those people need to be able to face justice. No question about it. 
These guys did this great takedown up in Harlem. The fact that your cousin, your brother, my sister got arrested. Well, guess what? They shouldn't have been selling drugs. That's the bottom line. Right. You know, Mike, one of the things, and I, I, re I read a lot of the uh, books during this whole time, and uh, Bill Bratton wrote a book called Take Back. And it was about the whole CompStat thing and the whole way the NYPD was turned around. He also wrote another book called Turnaround. But one of the things he said was, once you achieve a certain level of crime reduction, you have to put, invest more into the community with community policing type policing with ambassadors out there because you can't drive crime down to zero. And sometimes to drive it down to a level, you may have to intrude upon the civil rights or do you, not that you may, you shouldn't be doing that, but you may be tempted to do that. A la too much stop question and frisk. And we all saw when that was being used as a numbers game that backfired on the city and it backfired on the NYPD and caused a lot of bad feelings in, in different communities in the city. I think, I think he was right in the sense that, listen, when you, when you have a real bad situation that we had in this city, it took drastic measures to get this city back to where it needed to be. Those same drastic measures are not the same measures you do once you got to a different level of crime and different things in the city. So that's why we should have augmented our practices just a little bit. I'm not saying hands off because I don't believe in that. I believe a bad guy is a bad guy. And they're supposed to be treated like a bad guy with respect, but a bad guy. We should have backed off to some degree as it relates to the heavy handedness in order for us to be able to engage the community in a way that we can embark their help to, to solve the pro problems that we had. There were right. problems that we both share that we both, nobody wants the drugs in their neighborhood. Nobody wants the crime in their neighborhood. People are scared. So how do we enlist their help in order for them to be able to be our eyes, ears, and confidential informants in order for us to be able to get the information we need? Well, we have to have that rapport. And you can't have the rapport from throwing grandma against his wall. So that was a problem. 100%. You know, you're coming home from work. You're a, a teacher. You're a, a lawyer. You're a sanitation worker. And and you're getting tossed three times on the way to your building, you know, that was, that, that, the, that, that was wrong, that you know. That was Bloomberg's... Not the, listen, we, we got to understand something. Let's, let's not pretend, you know, there's some bad people out there, right? But they're not all bad. What do you think happens to a kid who gets tossed two or three times a week? You think he's gonna like the police? You think no. this? You think that's gonna be what happens if your kid gets tossed two or three times a week? Would you be happy? Of course, you wouldn't be happy when your kid's not doing anything. If he's not doing anything, of course. I'm not talking about the bad guys. I'm talking about the good guys. Good policing is able to discern who the bad guy is from the good guy, and be able to take the appropriate action. Guys are not as experienced as they were before, and when you put a numbers game into the equation that you're judging them in order for them to be able to get favorable assignments, promotions, and other things like that, you create a monster. And that's what we created, unfortunately. Yes, I, I totally Trish, agree. Yep. Trish talks as Mike should do more public speaking, has many great points. And I agree, Mike. Uh, he already did. He spoke for years. <laughs> I don't know if he wants to go back. <laughs> well, you need now, to he, now he's counting stacks of hundreds on his weekends. <laughs> you know what the, the, the funny true, thing is, um, is, is All right, the 50s. 
<laughs> is the difference in communities. Like, uh, you know, there's a certain attitude. Well, what were you doing out at two o'clock in the morning? Well, you're in a neighborhood where people stay out to two o'clock in the morning. You can't, you right. have to police differently. Um, you know, they sit out on their, on their chair. They don't have air conditioners. They don't have uh, uh, pools in their backyard to have wine. These are different, these are different people. You have to adjust. And people, the cops from certain neighborhoods know, you know, but when you're in a certain precinct, just for the purpose of collecting guns and, um, you know, you got to get your four a month and this ple we, this precinct dried up and when this is where we still got to work and I want to stay working in this unit. And that's what happened. Yeah. That but you know so something, Mike, I, I've, I've spoken about that before. You can't police the 19th precinct the same way you police the three, two, because the three, two has guns. They have shootings, they have murders and they, you know, the 19th precinct maybe gets one homicide a year and maybe two or three shootings. But when you got double, triple digits, you have to police that. Area. And I'm not, I mean, I'm preaching to the choir. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. I'm telling this to our listeners. You have to police those communities differently. Hey, Absolutely. But one thing, one thing that I would add to that is that no matter where you're policing, you treat the people with respect. Absolutely. 100%. You know something? I was always impressed when I went into the 3-2 and I saw how respectful those cops were in a busy, busy place. And they really, they were taught well, they were trained well, and they res I thought that they respected everyone pretty well. And you wouldn't expect that. Oh, oh they're in the hood, they're here, and maybe they won't. Be. And they were all, that I could see, all respectful. You know, you know I spent a lot of time, a uh, few years in warrants, and uh, I remember... You know, you, you work in every different neighborhood and you go into somebody's house. And I never forgot that. So the first time I knocked on that door and I show you the person that I had on the warrant, I talked to you from outside. I didn't put my foot in your door. And I asked you if they were home. And if you said no, I gave you the benefit of the doubt. You know, if I had reason to believe on my second way back, because uh, there was no, this is where this person lives is all I know. I'm going to check it out the second time, but you always give them the benefit of the doubt. It's their home. And that was, that's, those are sick, st sticky situations in a way, because you really have to respect somebody's home, no matter how much money they got, that's their home. You can't go trampling in there, going through the door. You got to treat them with respect. And if you, if you blow that, if you, if you disrespect them on that, you know, you it's tough, man. It's better off, you know, respecting people, like you said. Let me say this, you know, this agency, the NYPD is a great agency. They do a lot of things right. Is there room for improvement in certain areas? All of us can improve in certain areas, but you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. You have to be able to make the necessary tweaks in order to be able to improve the agency effectiveness without having to throw out the bathwater, the baby. And that's what you gotta be mindful of. Right now, some of the things that we see happening may be considered throwing the baby out with the bathwater. We gotta be careful of those type of things. Well, Mike, if you, um, and I don't know if how much you still follow the department, but there was a DOI report that came out in regards to the uh, summer riots, total hit job on the NYPD. There was a second report done by the state attorney general, Letitia James, second hit job on the NYPD. 
100% political, 100% in my mind, bullshit. They didn't deserve that. But someone doesn't like the police. And as a result, yeah. that's what's going on. Well, when you start to say someone don't like the police, let's just really say these guys politically are motivated not to like the police because they think it turns into votes. So Absolutely. You be, uh, you, you, I couldn't have said that any on. better. Exactly. You're 100% right. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. They'll sacrifice so I, truth for, to get votes, you know. No matter who's so running. I didn't, read, I didn't read the attorney general's report, and I didn't read DOI's report, uh, only because of the fact that when you see these things occurring, you know who's the sacrificial lamb. And it's the guys and girls out there on the streets in the police department who they're going to vilify. Now, maybe there may be some points within those reports that maybe we need to look at and institute in order to do a better job next time. However, by and large, you see those cops out there with people throwing bricks at them, the guys getting cut. One guy runs over into the Bronx. Listen, these guys did the best they can under very difficult circumstances. There's no perfect world. And anybody who thinks it's a perfect world, they live it not in the world here. So mistakes may happen. Maybe we'll adjust and make some improvements. But those guys and girls did a great job out there. You know, Mike, they, they in the DOI report, I'm just going to cite one thing that they spoke about. They spoke about a technique that the NYPD uses called kettling, which is basically to separate the crowds and make them go the direction you want them to go. They objected to that. That's a, for, as a police commander, you're like, that's a beautiful thing. That was our goal. That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. You want to, you want to direct the crowds in a way that you want them in order for you to be able to police them and keep everybody safe. What people forget about when you talk about these large crowds, they're at risk just as much as the cops are. You, they're trying to protect, the cops are trying to protect everybody in this particular case. So, you know, some of these things are outrageous, but I, like I said, I didn't read the full report, so I'll be the last one. That's because you just want to see nice things now that you're retired, you know. Yeah. No, no, you know what it is. <laughs> living, hey, listen, living in a bubble, that's what I'm doing. I'm in my bubble. He just... <laughs> hey, Keith, I got to ask you Bill, something. Let me, hold on, let me just say, let me reply this to you, Bill. All right. You see, you still have here... If I continue reading these reports, <laughs> I would just get more aggravated and more aggravated. I got no hair already. I, 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 I thought the lack of hair was just the style <laughs> that you want to be the sexy, uh, sexy older man, you know? <laughs> hey, 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 Chief, I got, listen, you've been on with us for an hour. I got to ask you a question before we start parting ways. But since you're in the business right now and you're a financial officer, we have a lot of young officers uh, and, and people who want to become cops eventually and, and guys who are on the job that watch the show right now, what's the best advice you can give them and how can they get in touch with you if they want to invest their money with you? Let's back up, all right? What we do is financial planning. We do investments and all those other things. But my thing is to try to educate these young men and women as much as possible. I have three offices. I got one in Merrick. I have two upstate, one in White Plains and one in Suffern, by appointments only. They could call me anytime, my office, 516-868-0044, schedule a complimentary review. I go over everything, soup the nuts, and to ensure that we get their ducks in a row. Back to your original question, the young person who's thinking about joining the police department, I will tell you this, it's a great career. 
You are the millionaire next door and don't even realize it. Your pension is worth having maybe a comparable to one and a half million dollars in a 401. Not too many people are walking around with that type of money. There's other opportunities that you need to take advantage of when you're on a job in order to maximize your growth potential in order to be able to retire comfortable. If you call us, I'll help you guide you through that process. Totally complimentary. And not just to mention, let me just mention the fact, one thing. My, my staff and the people who work with me, my partners, those guys are the real brains behind the operation. They're the ones who really know what's going on at, to a higher level, and they'll be able to help guide you through any, any decision making from a financial perspective. That being said, what, what should I do with all this GameStop um, <laughs> <laughs> that I bought yesterday? <laughs> yeah, okay. So, so, you know, I am licensed, right? So if I give you financial advice without proper disclosures, <laughs> you know what's going to happen, right? <laughs> got six games in my house I want to get rid of right now. I don't know what to do with them. So, Mike, are you still okay, carrying so. around like thick wads of uh, of hundreds or no? Or are you, are you in Bitcoin now? I, I tell you what, <laughs> I don't even carry cash. I don't have any cash. You know what? <laughs> I don't even carry cash anymore. Hey, since we have you on the show, what is it? What do you think about um, digital currency? Listen, you got people on one side who are saying it's it's a waste; they can't regulate it, and that you're going to lose all your money. And you got the other people who said that this is going to explode and it's the wave of the future. If you got money to waste, I can't give financial advice on the atmosphere like this. But there's some pros and cons on both. When it comes to Bitcoin, you got to do your proper research. If you want to review, come in, we'll talk about it. <laughs> All right. Hey, hey, listen, there. you're very savvy. I like, I like the way you move. <laughs> I like the way you move around that. Uh, my son just invested it because it's not just Bitcoin, but there's other ones. Like there's this, the one called Douche or something that just started a couple of days ago, a couple of weeks ago, months ago. And it's very low right now. And people are investing in it. And then the, you see other countries that are relying solely on pretty much on digital currency right now. Then you saw what happened in this country during this pandemic where um, we're using uh, digital currency more than ever. And we're not even, we don't wanna make money anymore. We wanna get rid of coins. So it's it's a good thing that to know. I think I would do some research on this and I would kind of uh, sit down with a professional and have a conversation because there may be some mileage when it comes to uh, digital coins in the future. All right. So uh, give us your number one more time. Tell, tell us the number one more time. Merrick Financial Group, 516-868-0044. We're celebrating our 15th year anniversary of helping educating the members of the service about their finances. So feel free to give us a call and book one of our complimentary financial reviews. I thank you for the time and I thank you for the opportunity. Well, well, I, well, before you go, I think Bill got something to say. No, Mike, it, uh, yeah, it, it was always great to know you. And I mean, I can't believe I've been seeing you in about 30 years. You look the same. You're still pumping iron? Iron is pumping me. Right <laughs> yeah, me too. I, I can't lift like I used to, Mike. I'm, everything hurts. You know, everything hurts. When you I get old, you, it's not easy, Bill. <laughs> you were down in the gym all the time, I recall, right? Back in the day. Yeah, yeah. Shape. Yeah. I mean, it, not it, as much. Harder, 
right? It gets harder as you get older. It's harder. Sure. The right. bones hurt much more now, you know? Yeah, arthritis everywhere. You know, I even a cup of Absolutely. coffee. I'm like, oh, my shoulder, you know? Well, you look really good, though. I mean, if, if you were sergeants with Bill back in the day, I would imagine you're close to Bill's age. And if that's the case, because Bill's like the oldest guy I know. No, he's, Mike's younger than me. <laughs> He's a lot younger than me. Bill's the oldest, oldest guy I know. <laughs> How long have you been retired, Mark? Uh, I retired in 2012, and I'm horrible at math, but I think it's nine years now. Okay, good for you. Good for you. Yeah, I'm doing it. I, listen, I, I thought it was going to be better, I'll be honest with you, but <laughs> I've been on TV a bunch. It doesn't really amount to anything, but I'm still, I'm still in the mix. I'm still trying. Listen. As long as you run the race, you're going to win. Just keep running it. For yeah, sure. yeah. I'm having a whole lot of fun. Bill and I have this show. Uh, we, we, uh, we have a Patreon page. Uh, Bill, tell, tell our audience about the Patreon page. All right, uh, all our fans out there, and I also want to give a shout-out to Duty Ron, who's uh, actually helping uh, Police Off the Cuff grow a big audience on YouTube, and he's helped us uh, tremendously in the past month, month and a half. Also, our Patreon fans, we have three tiers. For $7 a month, you're the bucket. For $9 a month, you can get to polish my rack. And for $11 a month, you can dip them in butter. I won't tell you what you dip, but that's what, that's what you can do for $11 a month. And you get some uh, content that we don't give to everyone else. One of the things I always say that I love about doing this show is the great, great people I get to meet. Great cops, uh, authors of books. You know, it's really interesting people, and Mike Blake is now one of them. I agree uh, with you, Bill. One of the one of the great people I, I met on the that. NYPD, and one of these days, Mike, I'm gonna. I, I live pretty close to White Plains. I'll have lunch with you one day, uh, in White Plains. That I'll give you a great. call, and uh, I'll, I'll even buy Mike, even though I know you got a platinum, nah, okay, what, a platinum American <laughs> Express card. I don't know, but I'll even buy. I, I don't give a shit. I got money. Anyway, my face. <laughs> Mark, you got anything else to say before we Mike say goodbye? The long line of uh, guests that we've had that are doing better than me. So you fit right <laughs> in. Yeah. Thank you, Mike, for joining us. Um, you were a great guest. You answered a lot of our questions. And uh, I learned a lot tonight, man. And uh, Bill? Mike, I'm glad you're doing great. And uh, out of the 11 kids, you're doing the best. <laughs> I appreciate the opportunity, guys. You know what I mean? Keep up the faith and keep, keep plugging for our guys out there. You're always welcome back. And we're going to share your um, your investment firm on our platform and, and see if we can get you some business. Have a great day. Take care. Man, Mike. Again. Thank you so much, Mike. Thanks for joining us. Take care now. All right.